Section 23 of Three Science Fiction Novellas by Lee Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 3 of The Vanishing Venusians It was a long walk to the forest. The top of the plateau seemed to be bowl-shaped, protected by encircling cliffs. Harker, thinking back to that first settlement long ago, decided that this place was infinitely better. It was like the visions he had seen in fever dreams, the promised land. The coolness and cleanness of it were like having weights removed from your lungs and heart and body. The rejuvenating air didn't make up for McLaren's weight, however. Presently, Harker said, Hold it, and sat down, tumbling McLaren gently onto the grass. The girl stopped. She came back a little way and watched Harker, who was blowing like a spent horse. He grinned up at her. "'I'm shot,' he said. "'I've been too busy for a man of my age. "'Can't you get a hold of somebody to help me carry him?' Again she studied him with puzzled fascination. Night was closing in, in a clear indigo, less dark than at sea level. Her eyes had a curious luminosity in the gloom. "'Why do you do that?' she asked. "'Do what?' carry it. By it, Harker guessed she meant McLaren. He was suddenly, coldly conscious of a chasm between them that no amount of explanation could bridge. He's my friend. He's... I have to. She studied his thought and then shook her head. I don't understand. It's spoiled. Her thought image was a combination of broken, finished, and useless. Why carry it around? McLaren's not an it. He's a man like me, my friend. He's hurt and I have to help him. I don't understand. Her shrug said it was his funeral, also that he was crazy. She started on again, paying no attention to Harker's call for her to wait. Perforce, Harker picked up McLaren and staggered on again. He wished Sim were here, and immediately wished he hadn't thought of Sim. He hoped Sim had died quickly before. Before what? Oh, God, it's dark, and I'm scared, and my belly's all gone to cold water, and that thing trotting ahead of me through the blue haze. The thing was beautiful, though. Beautifully formed, fascinating, a curved slender gleam of moonlight, a chalice flower holding the mystic, scented nectar of the unreal, the unknown, the undiscovered. Harker's blood began, in spite of himself, to throb with a deep excitement. They came under the fragrant shadows of the trees. The forest was open, with broad mossy rides and clearings. There were flowers underfoot, but no brush and clumps of ferns. The girl stopped and stretched up her hand. A feathery branch, high out of her reach, bent and brushed her face and she plucked a great pale blossom and set it in her hair. She turned and smiled at Harker. He began to tremble, partly with weariness, partly with something else. How do you do that? he asked. She was puzzled. The branch, you mean? Oh, that, she laughed. It was the first sound he had heard her make, and it shot through him like warm silver. I just think I would like a flower, and it comes. Teleportation, telekinetic energy, what did the books call it? 
Back on Earth they knew something about that, but the colony hadn't had much time to study even its own meager library. There had been some religious sect that could make roses bend into their hands. Old Wisdom, the force behind the biblical miracles, just the infinite power of thought. Very simple. Yay. Harker wondered uneasily whether she could work it on him, too. But then, he had a brain of his own. Or did he? What's your name? he asked. She gave a clear, trilled sound. Harker tried to whistle it and gave up. Some sort of tone language, he guessed, without words as he knew them. It sounded as though they, her people, whatever they were, had copied the birds. I'll call you Button, he said. Bachelor Button. But you wouldn't know. She picked the image out of his mind and sent it back to him. Blue fringe top flowers nodding in his mother's china bowl. She laughed again and sent her blackbirds away and led on into the forest, calling out like an oriole. Other voices answered her, and presently, racing the light wind between the trees, her people came. They were like her. There were males, slender little creatures like young boys, and girls like Button. There were several hundred of them, all naked, all laughing and curious, their lithe, pliant bodies fitting moth fashion through the indigo shadows. They were topped with petals. Harker called them that, though he still wasn't sure, of all colors from blood scarlet to pure white. They trilled back and forth. Apparently Button was telling them all about how she found Harker and McLaren. The whole mob pushed on slowly through the forest and ended finally in a huge clearing where there were only scattered trees. A spring rose and made a little lake, and then a stream that wandered off among the ferns. More of the little people came, and now he saw the young ones. All sizes, from tiny thin creatures on up, replicas of their elders. There were no old ones. There were none with imperfect or injured bodies. Harker, exhausted and on the thin edge of a fever bout, was not encouraged. He set McLaren down by the spring. He drank, gasping like an animal, and bathed his head and shoulders. The forest people stood in a circle, watching. They were silent now. Harker felt coarse and bestial, somehow, as though he had belched loudly in church. He turned to McLaren. He bathed him, helped him drink, and set about fixing the leg. He needed light, and he needed flame. There were dry leaves and mats of dead moss in the rocks around the spring. He gathered a pile of these. The forest people watched. Their silent, luminous stare got on Harker's nerves. His hands were shaking so that he made four tries with his flint and steel before he got a spark. The tiny flicker made the silent rank stir sharply. He blew on it. The flames licked up, small and pale at first, then taking hold, growing, crackling. He saw their faces in the springing light, their eyes stretched with terror. A shrill cry broke from them, and then they were gone like rustling leaves before a wind. Harker drew his knife. The forest was quiet now. Quiet, but not at rest. 
The skin crawled on Harker's back, over his scalp, drew tight on his cheekbones. He passed the blade through the flame. McLaren looked up at him. Harker said, It's okay, Rory, and hit him carefully on the point of the jaw. McLaren lay still. Harker stretched out the swollen leg and went to work. It was dawn again. He lay by the spring in the cool grass, the ashes of his fire gray and dead beside the dark stains. He felt rested, relaxed, and the fever seemed to have gone out of him. The air was like wine. He rolled over on his back. There was a wind blowing. It was a live, strong wind, with a certain smell to it. The trees were rollicking, almost shouting with pleasure. Harker breathed deeply. The smell, the pure clean edge. Suddenly he realized that the clouds were high, higher than he'd ever known them to be. The wind swept them up, and the daylight was bright, so bright that... Harker sprang up. The blood rushed in him. There was a stinging blur in his eyes. He began to run, toward a tall tree, and he flung himself upward into the branches and climbed, recklessly, into the swaying top. The bowl of the valley lay below him, green, rich, and lovely. The gray granite cliffs rose around it, grew higher in the direction from which the wind blew. Higher and higher, and beyond them, far beyond, were mountains, flung towering against the sky. On the mountains, showing through the whipping veils of cloud, there was snow, white and cold and blindingly pure, and as Harker watched there was a gleam, so quick and fleeting that he saw it more with his heart than with his eyes. Sunlight. Snowfields, and above them, the sun. After a long time he clambered down again into the silence of the glade. He stood there, not moving, seeing what he had not had time to see before. Rory McLaren was gone. Both packs, with food and climbing ropes and bandages and flint and steel, were gone. The short spears were gone. Feeling on his hip, Harker found nothing but bare flesh. His knife and even his breech clout had been taken. A slender, exquisite body moved forward from the shadows of the trees. Huge white blossoms gleamed against the curly blue that crowned the head. Luminous eyes glanced up at Harker, full of mockery and a subtle animation. Button smiled. Matt Harker walked toward Button, not hurrying, his hard sinewy face blank of expression. He tried to keep his mind that way, too. Where is the other one, my friend? In the finish place. She nodded vaguely toward the cliffs near where Harker and McLaren had escaped from the caves. Her thought image was somewhere between rubbish heap and cemetery, as nearly as Harker could translate it. It was also completely casual, a little annoyed that time should be wasted on such trifles. Did you? Is he still alive? It was when we put it there. It will be all right. It will just wait until it stops. Like all of them. Why was he moved? Why did you? It was ugly, Button shrugged. It was broken anyway. She stretched her arms upward and lifted her head to the wind. 
A shiver of delight ran through her. She smiled again at Harker, sidelong. He tried to keep his anger hidden. He started walking again, not as though he had any purpose in mind, bearing toward the cliffs. His way lay past a bush with yellow flowers and thorny, pliant branches. Suddenly it writhed and whipped him across the belly. He stopped short and doubled over, hearing Button's laughter. When he straightened up, she was in front of him. "'It's red,' she said, surprised, and laid little pointed fingers on the scratches left by the thorns. She seemed thrilled and fascinated by the color and feel of his blood. Her fingers moved, probing the shape of his muscles, the texture of his skin, and the dark hair on his chest. They drew small lines of fire along his neck, along the ridge of his jaw, touching his features one by one, his eyelids, his black brows. "'What are you?' whispered her mind to his. "'This.' Harker put his arms around her slowly. Her flesh slid cool and strange under his hands, sending an indescribable shudder through him, partly pleasure, partly revulsion. He bent his head. Her eyes deepened, lakes of blue fire, and then he found her lips. They were cool and strange like the rest of her, pliant, scented with spice, the same perfume that came with sudden overpowering sweetness from her curling petals. Harker saw movement in the forest aisles, a clustering of bright flower heads. Button drew back. She took his hand and led him away, off toward the river and the quiet, ferny places along its banks. Glancing up, Harker saw that the two blackbirds were following overhead. "'You are really plants, then? Flowers like those?' He touched the white blossoms on her head. "'You are really a beast, then? Like the furry, snarling things that climb up through the pass sometimes?' They both laughed. The sky above them was the color of clean fleece. The warm earth and crushed ferns were sweet beneath them. "'What pass?' asked Harker. Over there. She pointed off toward the rim of the valley. It goes down to the sea, I think. Long ago we used to go down there, but there's no need, and the beasts make it dangerous. Do they? said Harker, and kissed her in the hollow below her chin. What happens when the beasts come? Button laughed. Before he could stir, Harker was trapped fast in a web of creepers and tough fern, and the blackbirds were screeching and clashing their sharp beaks in his face. That happens, Button said. She stroked the ferns. Our cousins understand us, even better than the birds. Harker lay sweating, even after he was free again. Finally, he said, Those creatures in the underground lake, are they your cousins? Button's fear thought thrust against his mind like hands pushing away. No, don't. Long, long ago the legend is that this valley was a huge lake, and the swimmers lived in it. They were a different species from us entirely. We came from the high gorges, where there are only barren cliffs now. This was long ago. The lake receded. We grew more numerous and began to come down, and finally there was a battle and we drove the swimmers over the falls into the black lake. They have tried and tried to get out, 
to get back to the light, but they can't. They send their thoughts through us sometimes. They... She broke off. I don't want to talk about them any more. How would you fight them if they did get out? Harker asked uneasily. Just with the birds and the growing things. Button was slow in answering. Then she said, I will show you one way. She laid her hand across his eyes. For a moment there was only darkness. Then a picture began to form. People, his own people, seen as reflections in a dim and distorted mirror, but recognizable. They poured into the valley through a notch in the cliffs, and instantly every bush and tree and blade of grass was bent against them. They fought, slashing with their knives, making headway, but slowly. And then, across the plain, came a sort of fog, a thin drifting curtain of soft white. It came closer, moving with force of its own, not heeding the wind. Harker saw that it was thistledown. Seeds born on silky wings. It settled over the people trapped in the brush. It was endless and unhurrying, covering them all with a fine fleece. They began to writhe and cry out with pain, with a terrible fear. They struggled, but they couldn't get away. The white down dropped away from them. Their bodies were covered with countless tiny green shoots, sucking the chemicals from the living flesh and already beginning to grow. Button's spoken thought cut across the image. I have seen your thoughts, some of them, since the moment you came out of the caves. I can't understand them, but I can see our planes gashed to the raw earth and our trees cut down and everything made ugly. If your kind came here, we would have to go, and the valley belongs to us. Matt Harker's brain lay still in the darkness of his skull, wary, drawn in upon itself. It belonged to the swimmers first. They couldn't hold it. We can. Why did you save me, Button? What do you want of me? There was no danger from you. You were strange. I wanted to play with you. Do you love me, Button? His fingers touched a large, smooth stone among the fern roots. Love? What is that? It's tomorrow and yesterday. It's hoping and happiness and pain. The complete self because it's selfless. The chain that binds you to life and makes living it worthwhile. Do you understand? No, I grow. I take from the soil and the light. I play with the others, with the birds and the wind and the flowers. When the time comes, I am ripe with seed, and after that I go to the finished place and wait. That's all I understand. That's all there is. He looked up into her eyes. A shudder crept over him. You have no soul, Button. That's the difference between us. You live, but you have no soul. After that, it was not so hard to do what he had to do. To do quickly, very quickly, the thing that was his only faint chance of justifying Sim's death. The thing that Button may have glimpsed in his mind, but could not guard against, because there was no understanding in her of the thought of murder. End of Part 3